0: This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. And a very good afternoon to you. It's 11 minutes past two on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon, nice and warm here in the Highfield. And, of course, edging ever closer to that beautiful, beautiful Chag, the Festival of Lights, the Festival of Hanukkah, starting on Sunday evening and going through the duration of next week all the way through to the following Monday evening, Although Monday evening, the last Monday evening, we do not light the menorah, but the menorah is lit every night Sunday through Sunday in order to celebrate this beautiful Chag of Hanukkah. And there have been many uh, sessions, many um, talks on this radio station dealing with many of the laws of Hanukkah. I myself have dealt with um, it previously. And so I thought that being that today is a very special Being that today is a very special Hasidic Yomtev, it is the day of chof Kislev, it is the 20th of Kislev, yesterday Yutet Kislev, the 19th of Kislev, which I'm sure you heard about yesterday on the radio, but to remind you, the day of the release of the first Chabad reb, Rabbi, Shneel Zalman of Liadi, was released from imprisonment for the heinous crime of uh, the spreading of Judaism, the teaching of Hasidus Torah to Jews um, around Eastern Europe. Um, And um, of course, then today, the 20th, which is marked by Hasidim as the day on which not only was the first printing Um, of his magnum opus, the Tanya, um, brought to bear on this particular day. But it's also a day on which we kind of mark the beginning of the outpouring of the wellsprings of Hasidic influence in the entire world. And in a way, if we think about it a little bit introspectively and with fairness to uh, everything and everybody who has done so much for the Jewish world over the last couple of centuries, I think that it's fair to say that the influence that Chabad Hasidism, Chabad Lubavitch has had on the Jewish world is uh, huge, that many a flame has been lit in many a Jewish heart, whether it be here locally or whether it be anywhere else in the world. There is not a Jew today who travels anywhere in the world, who is not helped out by Chabad somewhere, someplace and somehow. In fact, if we just have to look back, At the events of, um, well, it's now more than a week ago, of um, that uh, flight that took off from Kennedy Airport flying to uh, Tel Aviv and the whole um, ruckus that took place um, over flying into Shabbos and then landing in Athens and so on. Well, what would they have done without The um, Chabad Shluchim, the Chabad emissaries who were on the ground in Athens to cater to those people to create a wonderful Chabad welcome and a beautiful, beautiful Shabbat for all of the people who uh, were stranded there. You know, somehow um, news reports like to report on um, the drama, on the dramatics, on uh, the possibilities of um, um, fights, of uh, harsh interactions, and then to wax lyrical about the um, various uh, parts and the various parties and the fact that there was an irreligious and a religious kind of a war that was being played out um, over this particular issue. And uh, still, we haven't really heard the end of that saga, but somewhere, somehow, someplace, there was the incredible role played by Chabad in uh, Athens for uh, this particular event. Isn't it strange in the days before Um, before Hanukkah that we're talking about Chabad in Athens. Chabad in Athens, Athens, the seat of kind of the Hellenist Greek philosophy, Um, and that it was right there during this month of Kislev that they truly kindled the flames, that they lit the lights of not Hanukkah, but the lights in all of Judaism and in all of the hearts of all of the people who were there who were present who were able to participate in a wonderful, wonderful Shabbos. And... Um well, let's look at it realistically Had it not been for that flight taking off At that particular time And for those people ending up there And for El Al doing uh, what it did And for um, the passengers uh, Doing what they did or what they didn't um, There wouldn't have been this beautiful story But yet somehow that sort of falls through the cracks A wonderful story A fantastic uh, sign Of just how we are all one How the people who were there Who were stranded there, the 150 people Who were stranded there were Like one man with one heart, that we were able, they were able to celebrate Shabbat all together. And why? Because of the vision of um, the Lubavitcher Rebbe to see to it that his lamp lighters should be everywhere in the entire world, making sure that the flames of Judaism are kindled, making sure that the flames in the hearts and the souls of Jews everywhere are kindled. And it made no difference. Whether you were, let's call it, super frum, super religious, super Haredi, um, or whether you were just an ordinary card-carrying member of the Jewish people, a normal, as they used to say, Red Sea pedestrian, um, everybody was equal, everybody was shown the same warmth, everybody's a brother, everybody's a sister, everybody is part of this wonderful, wonderful people uh, that of whom it is a privilege to be a part of Am Yisrael of the Jewish people, and We need to focus a lot more on the positive, but we also need to think about the incredible light that has been created around the world and how much stress and how much value was placed in the concept of kindling lights and particularly Hanukkah lights in um, the um, real archives of um, all the literature as well as all the um, videos and all the things That were done and that were um, uh, created and made in a spiritual sense by the Lubavitcher Rebbe and the Rebbe's that went before him all the way back to the Alter Rebbe who we commemorate on these days of Yud-Tet and Chaf Kislev on the 19th and the 20th of Kislev. So I would like to begin today by telling you a story and the story is a story that i have told before it's a story that has been printed many times before it's a sp- story that has been told before but perhaps from a slightly different angle um being that it is a story that i am very well a- well afay with and being that it's a story that in which i have been integrally involved and this is certainly not a story about me but it's a story about hanukkah and it's a story about how the rebbe wanted to make sure that everybody lit Hanukkah manurahs, wherever they may have been, and even in the darkest places on earth. Well, perhaps I'll begin by telling you that it was probably three or four years ago that I received a phone call, probably um, exactly today, kind of a three or four days before Hanukkah um, in that particular year. And the phone call came from a journalist in New Jersey I forget which newspaper it was for, but it was a newspaper journalist who called me from New Jersey um, wanting to know – New Jersey and the United States, of course – wanting to know if I was familiar with a story that had involved my late father, Rabbi Shapsi Katz, Rabbi Sidney Katz, as he was known, who was the rabbi for 38 years of uh, Pretoria. And uh, this particular story um, is one that I would like to share with you today. But um, checking on the facts was very important then because there had been a landmark decision that was made in the courts of New Jersey to enable prisoners who were held in prison in New Jersey to be able to light menorahs for Hanukkah. And you think about the Incredible logistics and the difficulties with logistics that you have to think about of menorahs in prisons, uh, whether the menorah itself would be a danger, whether the lighting of the candles would be a danger, um, how could people be allowed to do all of this. But this was something that um, happened some time before. That the story that they wanted to verify, and here they were checking of whether the facts were actually true, and why they needed to check was because it had been cited in this court case, and the prisoners had won a landmark decision enabling them to light menorahs in their prison cells for the duration of Hanukkah. And so it's that story that I'd like to share with you right after this. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Ilovo. So if we go back to the year 1979, if we think about the year 1979 and what South Africa looked like at that stage, um, it was a very, very different place to what it is today. And think about um, the uh, difficulties in the apartheid government, many who were uh, imprisoned for their political views, including many Jews who were in prison for their political views. And there were many Jews, of course, who were imprisoned for um, regular crimes as well. Um, In... The major centers where these uh, prisoners were held, unfortunately, um, the conditions were very harsh. They were very tough. They were very difficult. They were very dark. Those were pretty dark days in general, if we think about it in terms of South Africa. And those were certainly dark days for anybody who had uh, crossed with the uh, government of the time and who had um, unfortunately wound up um, in prison. Now, think about that context and then think about the fact <coughs> that my late father, Rabbi Sidney Katz, Rabbi Shapsi Katz, travels to New York and he happens to be there at this time of the year. It was um, the, uh, ta- the occasion that he was actually present for was a Yutet Kislev Fabrengen, a gathering in honor of Yutet Kislev, which would have taken place kind of if you think about it then, last night. That's when it would have taken place, a few days before Chanukah, And um, the, a day or two thereafter, the rabbi used to have what was called yechidus, meaning a private interview. But a private interview is not a way really to describe a yechidus because a yechidus was really a private soul-to-soul talk with the rabbi um, where really Hasidim, um believe and Hasidim really stand by the fact that when one went into a yichidus, it was literally your soul that was born to the rebbe, and the rebbe bore his soul to you and gave you direction for life and so on. And it was in such an interview then that uh, the rebbe spoke to my father about many, many different things, and then he said to him, "What is uh, the status of, or what is happening with a particular young man?" And he mentioned a Hebrew name what is happening with this and this man? And my father wasn't sure who the individual was. He certainly did not know anybody um, who went by that name and um, indicated that back to the Rebbe. And the Rebbe then said to him, he writes to me. He happens to be in a jail cell in a prison in Pretoria, in Pretoria Central Prison. From there he writes me letters and he has told me, that you have helped him to enable him to put on tefillin regularly. You have enabled him to daven, to learn, to read. He enjoys your visits very, very much. He um, has told me a lot about the conditions there and the difficulties that he goes through. And so I'm inquiring about his welfare. But at the same time, I would like to ask you to do me a favor. And the favor is I would like to know What happens for the prisoners in Pretoria Central Prison for Chanukah? Do they have the ability to light menorahs? And my father immediately responded and said, You know, the uh, prison authorities are pretty tough. They allow us to bring matzahs for Pesach, they allow us to bring a parcel for Rosh Hashanah. But Chanukah is uh, nothing that we've ever tried. And nor would I think that they would do anything about it because it's Hanukkah. It's lighting of candles and uh, candles are inflammatory. Um, they um, are uh, troublesome. they could be a problem in a jail cell. And therefore, I would tend to think that uh, they wouldn't allow it. But I went on to explain to my father how inspiring light is anywhere and how particularly inspiring it is in a dark place. And how a little bit of light dispels a lot of darkness and how important it is for a person who doesn't see hope, for a person who is enshrined by and shrouded by darkness, how that individual um, would view light. And particularly, he said, the lights of the Hanukkah menorah are so inspiring because they speak of miracles and because they speak of the triumph of the few over the many and they speak of um, of, 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 of light in general in a dark place and of chasing away the darkness that uh, surrounds them, that um, um, is, is, is their very existence, how inspiring it would be for them to be able to light Hanukkah menorahs. My father is a dutiful um, Chossid, I suppose, at that stage said to the rabbi, I will see to it, please, God, when I go back to South Africa, that for next year, please, God, I'll be able to enable the prisoners there to light Hanukkah menorahs. Thinking, of course, that the rabbi is going to say thank you. <laughs> thank you, Rabbi Katz. Wonderful. Well done. But that was not what he said. The rabbi said, what about this year? Um, it is important that they liked the Mins, and it 's something that I believe in so much. He indicated what about this year? It needs to happen now. To which my father gingerly replied and said i 'm here in New York um, if you think about thousand nine hundred and seventy nine the telecommunications was not what it was what it is today, and i 'm um, sitting here in New York um, I am only going back. After Hanukkah, um, it also happens to be very close to the um, Christian holidays um, that take place at the end of the year and the beginning of the new secular year. And therefore, um, this is something that I don't think that I could accomplish now. Um, It's um, particularly difficult from this distance. And the Rebbe said, um, when you leave my room today, you can go out to the secretary's office, I'll make sure that they make the telephones available to you. And you should call whoever you need to call. And you should speak to whoever you need to speak to. Try and make sure that menorahs are that, – that there's the ability for um, Jewish people in prison to be able to light menorahs this year, not only next year and the years thereafter, but this year. My father then uh, tried another excuse, and he said, um, "You know," um, and of course, thinking of course that the rabbi didn't know, um, which he realised, of course, the folly of uh, of, uh, of of what he said next. He said, um, "If I go out of here, um, you know, it's like here uh, midnight or whatever it was, one o'clock in the morning. It's." Uh, Early, early in the morning in South Africa, it'll be too early to call. I'll need to wait until a lot later on to call. So, like, kind of using your office phones won't exactly work. To which the rebbe replied, whoever you need to call will be so impressed that you're phoning them at, um, in the early hours of the morning that they will immediately grant you your request. Now, my father knew that he was on some kind of a really, really special mission. The rebel was guaranteeing him the success. The rebel was telling him that um, this was going to be their attitude, and he realized just how absurd it was. Um, did the rebel really know who he had to phone? Some big Afrikaans general in uh, Pretoria, who um, in those days was um, all-powerful in the prison system, Um, That he had to contact And he's sitting here in New York He doesn't even have the numbers He doesn't know how to call them It wasn't the days of cell phones Where you have the numbers in your pocket um, Wherever you went Um, All of this had to be done through an office The office wasn't yet open Etc, etc, etc And who was going to give out private numbers um, To a rabbi phoning from New York Um, All of this was rushing through my father's head As he emerged from the rabbi's room And set about what he needed to do Well of course um, The tumult Um, In the Rebbe's um, uh, Waiting room As well as um, The secretary's offices there Was uh, quite overwhelming My father happened To then decide To go home To the place Where he was staying And make the calls From there And um, when he eventually Got hold of The general In Pretoria Who um, had to uh pass this uh, who he had to pass this by. Um it was probably six or six, six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning. Um and um the general then says to him, How's this and how's that? How's New York? It's amazing. I've never been there. Um how are your travels? And my father is itching to get to the point and he says to him, um, I have this request from the Labava and the general responds and he says the fact that you phoned me so early in the morning, I realized the urgency. Um, I'm blown away. I'm not sure if you used the word I'm blown away, but I'm so impressed with the fact that a rabbi sitting in New York is concerned for an individual and a number of individual prisoners here in our prisons in South Africa to help to bring them light. Um, it will obviously be granted. The fact that you called me now made me realize the urgency of the matter, and obviously um, – Everybody who – every Jew who's in prison will be allowed to light a menorah for Hanukkah. You just need to make sure that they get the menorahs and the candles to them so that they can do so. And um, when I get to the office, I will send it out. In those days, they used to use something called a telex. Um, I'll send it out on a telex to all the – Uh, Prisons around the country and we'll make sure that it is written up into the books that um, this is something that should be allowed this year and for perpetuity that when it comes the festival of Hanukkah that Jewish prisoners are allowed to light menorahs in prisons around South Africa. My father was quite stunned. As you can imagine, yes, it was uh, already two, three o'clock in the morning. Maybe even later. By the time this was all concluded, he was stunned by it and stunned by the reaction and uh, what had actually transpired. It was invigorating. I remember him telling me that he couldn't sleep. Um, and uh, aside from the fact that the Rebbe had asked him to please come back um, at the time of shachris, which uh, the Rebbe used to come in for shachris at about ten o'clock in the morning. Um, Having been up just about the whole night with Yechidus, the Rebbe always came back um, at that time, and 10 o'clock in the morning, the Rebbe wanted a report back. And when my father was standing outside the Rebbe's office door and the Rebbe emerged um, um, into the uh, hallway, um, the he looked at my father and he said, No, and my father said to him, Yes, it's been accomplished, it's been done. And he described how the Rebbe's face lit up and there was a smile from ear to ear. And the Rebbe said to him, I am so grateful. You, uh, the, the way you've done this and etc., cetera, et cetera, and it's uh, beautiful. He said to him, however, I would like to ask you to do me another favor. And you can imagine my father thinking then after a sleepless night and after all of this activity, what else could the Rebbe want from me at this stage? Um, and... The rabbi said, please wait for me after shachris. when I come back um, to my uh, room. I would like to, to my office, I would like to ask you to uh, do something else for me. Um, don't have time now. We'll talk about it then. And uh, so the rabbi went to Davin. And at the end of uh, Shacharis that day, as the rabbi came and saw my father, he said to him, it may be difficult for you to believe, but um, do you know, that in the United States of America, um, in fact, he said, in this state that we're in, um, this state of New York, um, they have not allowed menorahs to be lit in the prisons here. I would like you to contact the authorities of the prisons in New York and tell them what has just been done in South Africa, how this – apartheid regime, how this uh, government of oppression, how these um, difficult people with their very, very um, supposedly and uh, outwardly narrow-minded views have enabled this to happen. Um, If uh, that's the way that South Africa has handled this, you need to impress upon them here in New York that they should learn from this and they should do the same. To which, of course, my father reacted by telling the Rebbe that – Obviously, in South Africa, I knew who to call. I have no idea who to call here. And the rabbi gave him an address um, down the road. He said, you go there and you're going to find a rabbi there called Rabbi J.J. Hecht, who was hugely uh, well-known in America, being one of the foremost rabbis in America and uh, of the famous Hecht family. He said, you need to go to him and he will have at his fingertips the right people for you to contact contact them, tell them the story. I'd like a report back at Mincha time um, this afternoon, which uh, then was probably about 3.15 in the afternoon. He knew that he had his work cut out for him from about 11 till 3 that day. That was his job. That was what he had to do. He thought he was there on a holiday. He was there on uh, some kind of... (laughs) He had some sightseeing to do, I guess, and things that he had to do. But um, this was the mission, and this was what the Rebbe put him up to. And so... Um, gingerly, once again, my father emerged from 770 Eastern Parkway, turned right, walked the uh, approximately three quarters of a block across Kingston Avenue to the offices of the National Committee for the Furtherance of Jewish Education, where he found Rabbi J.J. J. Hecht and um, inquired as to what he needed to do next. Be back with you right after this. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Yes, of course. We're going to let it burn. Uh, Hanukkah menorahs need to be lit from this coming Sunday night and throughout the week of Hanukkah. Let, let them burn and let them light up the night sky and let them light up the darkness, push away that darkness. And of course, we've been relating a beautiful story about Hanukkah. Um, as um, I mentioned before the break, that my father had managed to accomplish for the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the fact that menorahs could be lit by prisoners in prisons in and around South Africa in 1979. And now the Rebbe sent him on a brand new mission. He told him that because we were – he was then in New York, in New York State, the state of New York, that uh, the authorities had not allowed menorahs to be lit in the prisons there. And the Rebbe asked my father to please try and do what he could to impress upon them that if even in South Africa they were allowing it. And remember in those days, anybody who remembers from those days, in 1979, South Africa was um, kind of a pariah in the world. Um, You traveled into New York. They looked askance at you. If you came from South Africa, you were um, from this bad, racist um, environment, the apartheid uh, state. Nobody really knew what apartheid was, I think, but they knew that it was a bad word and they knew that it was something bad that was going on there. And you were kind of all um, really looked at as being villains. Um, and the government certainly were villainous. And there was certainly that kind of an attitude that pervaded all over the world, and particularly in America. And there uh, Wanted to use that kind of turn If um, in South Africa They've enabled it, they've allowed it It's got to be allowed in New York and you need to impress that upon them My father not knowing who to contact Was sent to Rabbi J.J. Hecht Rabbi Yaakov Yehuda Hecht A famous rabbi In America and um, in Chabad And um, my father Went to his office, told him the story And Rabbi Hecht's Reaction was one that I guess anybody else would have reacted He said you know our rabbi thinks about these things, and it's magnificent, and it's incredible. But um, the Rebbe also had to know that today is the day before uh, the uh, Christian major holiday that occurs towards the end of December. It's December 24th, and does he realize or he must realize – That um, anybody that you need to contact will be at parties. They'll be celebrating year-end parties, Xmas parties, whatever it is that they're celebrating. They're going to be doing that. And uh, what are we going to be able to do to get hold of these guys? Remember, before the days of cell phones, before the days of all those contacts, he said, well, the Rebbe said, let's call the number. And he calls through to um, the office of the particular individual that they were looking for, of course, Yes, they were involved in a party. Yes, they were probably a little intoxicated already. Um, It probably worked to my father's favor and to our favor. Um, But they eventually got the right man on the phone. And um, Rabbi Hecht said to him, I have here a rabbi visiting from South Africa. I'd like to have a word with you. My father is put onto the phone. And he says, yes, bud, what can I do for you? Or however he addressed him. My father tells him exactly the way that the Rebbe had asked him to put it across. And this was just accomplished in South Africa. The prisoners are now allowed to. And um, the guy said, yeah, in South Africa, they've allowed prisoners to light menorahs in the prisons. New York cannot be behind them. Go back and tell your Rebbe that um, it's done. Menorahs can be lit in prisons this year, and uh, we'll give it as a as a – as a present to uh, tell the Rebbe that it's done. You can do it. Just like that. That's exactly how it happened. If South Africa can do it, we can do it here in New York as well. And so my father went back at Mincha time with the good news to the Rebbe of the fact that menorahs could now be lit in the prisons of New York. I was uh, privileged as a young man when I was in yeshiva to actually go on one of those missions to one of the prisons in upstate New York, a place, a town called Lake Placid, where there was a uh, – a, a federal prison as well as a a, um, a state prison And uh, we visited there bringing menorahs to them So I was part of that um, some years later And I guess that that still continues even until today That prisoners all over New York are allowed to light menorahs in the prisons Wherever they were Now, there were some states obviously that... Um, didn't do that and uh, didn't follow suit because you know that state law in America, um, each state has different rules and regulations. And um, while it was then allowed in many places, apparently, and now in New York, one of the states that was out of sync was New Jersey. New Jersey, right across the Hudson from New York, was um, not allowing prisoners to light menorahs right up until just a few years ago. When some um, prisoner am um, sitting in Um, One of those penitentiaries Picked up an article in one of the Chabad magazines that was brought to him And he saw this particular story As it has been written up and uh, Disseminated and spread around in many many Places you can see it um, all Over the place if you google it if you look On youtube there are all sorts of Descriptions of it that have taken place Over the years um, because It is a fascinating and a beautiful story And it connotes so many things About the way that the Rebbe functioned About the fact that the Rebbe wanted things done immediately Etc., but not the least of which was the idea of Hanukkah and of spreading the light and of making sure that light is shared and that light is brought into dark places in order to light them up and, and make them bright and give people hope and give them a uh, sincere direction in the future and so on. All of these things were um, allowed everywhere, but not in New Jersey. And then this particular person, picking up the story, spoke about it to a lawyer got it um, into the courts, got a hearing, and eventually was triumphant a few years ago that New Jersey was now um, one of the last states in America to finally allow it. And it was all based actually on this particular story that took place all those years ago, 1979. I'll be back with you right after this. (music) This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. So thank God we're not necessarily in a physical prison, but we are surrounded by darkness. There is darkness in the way that people think. There is darkness in the way that people act. There is darkness in the way that people behave. There is darkness in the fact that there are so many people and so much going on locally as well as around the world that um, leaves, for, leaves one with kind of dark. Impressions, dark thoughts Um, What is there to look forward to And what's actually happening in our world And why is the world leaderless And why do we have so many conflicting issues And why do we have so much stacked against Israel And against the Jewish people And the rise of anti-Semitism and so on We're living in a time where we need light And we have so many wonderful opportunities To create that light this year over Hanukkah And let's begin by lighting menorahs at home each and every Jew, wherever you are, light a menorah on this Hanukkah. Light menorahs with your children, with your families, as is the halacha, as is Jewish law, that everybody under the roof, any, anybody living in your house needs to be present for two reasons. Number one is because we've got to remember what happened all those years ago. Number two is we need to have what we call pirsume nisa. You need to spread the message outwards, spread the miracles, let people... Ingest them, let them see them Let them understand them, let them feel them and Let them see the lights of the menorah So, begin at home And then, there are so many opportunities For you to see public menorah Lightings, bring your kids Bring your families And particularly, on the first night of Hanukkah Outside Santon City The main entrance on Ravonia Road There's going to be a huge, huge menorah If you think you've seen a big menorah This one is going to be even bigger than you've ever seen before Big in size and big in the numbers of people, hopefully, that will come to show a unity, to show how much we believe in the light of the menorah. And also, you're going to bring along your kids. And kids, if you're listening, you're going to bring along your parents. And the kids are going to make, before they come there, a Hanukkah menorah of their own. Make it out of anything. Make it out of whatever you find that you could invent, that you could think that you could make into a menorah. It needs to have eight candles on it and one for the shamus. That's about it, but it can be made out of anything. Bring it along, and there is going to be a um, a, a competition in the different age groups. So you're going to tag it with your name and with your age, and that is going to then be entered into a huge competition for the best, most innovative, most beautiful menorah, which will win a 9,000 rand. Yes, you heard it correctly, a 9,000 rand voucher. To Wow, wouldn't a kid want that? And then there are going to be other vouchers given out for um, runners-up for all the other menorahs that are found to be in the uh, top echelons, in the uh, right categories, and um, something that really excites the judges. So kids come along, parents come along. They're going to be jumping castles, and there's going to be music, and there's going to be the menorah lighting and all of that. And it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful event to usher in Hanukkah to bring in the menorah lights. And, of course, all over town, there are menorah lightings that are taking place, whether in your shuls, in your malls, office places. And, of course, let's not forget at home. Come along and enjoy Hanukkah. Light up. The darkness, light up your lives, share the light, spread the light, and let's make sure that this Hanukkah, not only do we see the menorahs lit in public here in the streets of Johannesburg or anywhere else, Santon or around the country or around the world, but that very soon, please God, speedily in our time, we'll be able to see the menorah rekindled, lit once again, as it was all those years ago with the uh, Maccabees, who came into the temple and rekindled the menorah. Please, God, we will merit to see that with the rebuilding of the temple, with the coming of Mashiach, where truly light will be brought to this entire world. Let's start the program now. It's up to you. It's up to me. It's up to all of us. Looking forward to a beautiful, illuminated, light, bright, and wonderful Hanukkah. I want to wish you a great rest of the week, a great Shabbat up ahead, and a really, really beautiful, warm and united Ghanneke. Take care, see you again next week.